So we're gonna talk about communication and connection, and we are gonna have to run to the battle in a good way. Uh, but first of all, I wanna ask you the same question that I asked last night, because I think we have the video running here, okay? Is this guy a servant lover or a selfish lover? And it actually fits into what we're gonna talk about this morning too, so here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. By the way, was he a selfish lover or a servant lover? Kind of a selfish lover. Some of you are going, hey, that's a good idea. I've never thought about that like that. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about communication, and here's a couple of thoughts as we start. Number one is 86% of marriages that derail, research says, derail because of poor communication. It could be communication uh, about the kids. It could be communication if you're in a blended family about the blend. It could be a communication uh, issue with finances. By the way, 26%, I'm filled with trivia in my head, 26% of marriages say that the number one reason they got a divorce was because of finances, unless you make over $100,000 a year, and then it's over 30% um, say that, that finances is the number one thing. Isn't that interesting? It's just interesting kind of research. But 86% of those marriages derail. P marriages derail because of adultery, abuse, addictions, definitely. But typically, that's not the issue. The issue is that we somehow drift. And again, you've heard me say that a couple of times, and what we're talking about all weekend is for us to, <coughs> to well, we, if we're drifting, how do we kind of counter that drift and, and uh, correct, do course corrections? So again, we're going to talk about some simple things when it comes, but not easy things to, to, uh, to communication. The other thing that I would say is that this trait um, that we're talking about in terms of communication is linked... Uh, to the success or failure of a marriage, um, the, the one that's mostly going to do it is this ability to communicate. And uh, what I want to say from the beginning is that no one communicates perfectly. And it's not just your mom's fault or just your father's fault. Um, we, we now have to take responsibility for how we communicate. Communication does take some work like we talked about last night. And so I want to examine our life again just for a moment. And there's a scripture that's important to, to this uh, point. And it's found in Ecclesiastes 3.6. And it says, there is a time to search and a time to give up and a time to keep and a time to throw away. And actually, I think that relates, although I'm sure that the writer of Ecclesiastes was not just speaking about communication, I think that relates to our communication as couples. It relates to our communication with our kids, to the people that we communicate with work and whatnot. And I know for me, and we have this prayer, my mom actually made it um, a long time ago, she's passed on now, but we have this made prayer. Made it on a, she did like an art piece. Yeah, she did an art piece. Yeah. Um, she didn't create this prayer. But it's a <laughs> serenity prayer. And the serenity prayer says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I've had to kind of learn that prayer over and over again. I don't come from the recovery movement, but if you're in the recovery movement, I was talking to a couple last night who has that background, they would obviously know that prayer. But what I've had to realize in my own life, in my own you know, marriage uh, life with Kathy, is that I've had to learn to, to accept the things that I cannot change. And part of that is, like, as I said last night, I can't change her. But I need to have the courage to change the things I can. And you know, I just want to say right from the beginning, as we talk about this today, that there's pain in life. And what I want to say, it's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. 
So you're gonna have to lean into some of the pain of discipline to communicate more effectively, or you're gonna have the pain of regret. And I think a lot of people have pain of regret in their marriages because they haven't put most, much energy into it. Now that may not be a lot of you, you're at this retreat, so you're putting some energy into your marriage this weekend. But for a lot of folks, and there are seasons I know in our life where we just get stale and we, we don't work at you know, communicating with each other and that's when things don't go bad, don't go as, as well. And the question you want to ask is, you know, how are you doing? How am I doing? Okay. I don't think you change with big, massive steps. Sometimes you do in a marriage, but very seldom. I think it's little baby steps. So anybody see the movie, What About Bob? Okay, I mean, like, you know, you played this incredible piece on the... I thought you were going to do deliverance or something. I thought you were going to segue <laughs> into deliverance, and, you know, that's more me, my style. And so I'm, my style is What About Bob, and in the movie, What About Bob, how many of you have seen the movie? So, okay, most of you in here. And if you haven't, you know, you need to see it. It has no redeeming value, but um, <laughs> the book that the psychiatrist writes is called Baby Steps. And in reality, that's how we change. We don't change often in big steps. Sometimes we do. When I was 16 years old, I made a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's the most important commitment I ever made, the most important decision I ever made. Second decision was to marry Kathy. I tell people who are getting ready for marriage, when they say, what's the secret to? I just said, marry well. I mean, really, honestly. And, um, but with, with that commitment, that's a huge step. And, it was, and I didn't understand that huge step until years have gone by, probably. But mainly, you improve in your marriage by doing baby steps. Um, you know, Henry Ford said, nothing is particularly hard at creating a car if you just you know, do one step at a time. John Grisham, who's a novelist who's sold you know, 60 plus million copies of his novels, said that he started writing 20 minutes a day, and that's how he wrote his first novel. He wrote it 20 minutes a day. Three years later, he had a novel that became a best-selling novel. So we do things in baby steps, and I think that really relates to our, our relationship as well. And right from the beginning, doing some preface work before we just move right into it, I want to quote my friend Henry Cloud. He says, uh, I cannot blame them for what I do with what they do to me, I'm responsible for how I respond. Because a lot of times what we say is I'd be happier if she would have it together. I would be happier if she would begin to communicate. I would be happier if she was more spiritual. I would be happier if my kids pulled it together. I'd be happier if circumstances changed. And what I wanna say from the beginning as we think about talking about communication is your circumstance may not change. So it's gonna to have to be your attitude can change and that makes all the difference in the world, okay? So before I get into some of the conflict areas and before Kathy talks about some of these issues, I wanna talk about something that, that we created some years ago called AWE. And AWE stands for affection, warmth, and encouragement. And if you came into my office, there'd be a little yellowed note on my desk. And the reason it's yellowed because it's a post-it note, I still keep it. And it just says A period, W period, E period. And at several levels, I want to treat Kathy with awe, affection, warmth, and encouragement. I also want to treat my kids with awe, affection, warmth, and encouragement. I want to treat you with affection, warmth, and encouragement. And there's obviously different levels of that, levels that would be appropriate and not so appropriate when you begin to think about all three of those levels, not just the affection side, see? And so what I see is that for a lot of marriages, we live in such a fast-paced life, talking about last night, is that we sometimes quit having fun. Are you still having fun? In fact, I think one of the principles of a good, solid marriage relationship is are we having fun? Have serious fun. Now, I'm not speaking to that, but there is a scripture that I want you to look at, and the scripture is found in the book of Proverbs 17.22. And I think it'll come up, there it is. 
A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. That's the NIV. I like what the Living Version says. It says, zaps your spirit. And so sometimes we come to a place like Mount Hermon, and we say, well, why was that so good? Well, part of it was good because you have dopamine going in your head at all times, and when, you, when the dopamine is, it, that is, a, by the way, you could have great dopamine when you're uh, you know, having, uh, you know, doing drugs or having sex, so I'd rather have you have sex than do drugs. But at the same time, <laughs> dopamine works when you're having fun. And it kind of hits this, you know, the neurotransmitters in your brain kind of go off. And one of the reasons why Mount Hermon, we were talking last night with the Holmes, right? Close, Mahoney. Mahoney, okay, I'm not so close. We were talking last night, and they, they were saying, we just love coming up here. Well, they have great memories up here, okay? And, and that is something we need in our marriages, so it's have serious fun. Or if we're living with a zapped spirit, that means we're probably not taking care of our own soul, see? And so that scripture... I think has to do with this whole idea of, of awe. Uh, the first one is affection. Uh, you know, UCLA comes up with a study that says it takes eight to 10 meaningful touches a day for someone to thrive. And yet there are people in this room who crave what, what we call skin hunger. This is not sexual affection, we'll talk about that very bluntly tonight. But when it comes to just affection, the I love yous, the taking care of each other with affection. And sometimes, men and women, you've got to be able to, to express with your spouse what your affection needs are. So Kathy and I, like we said, have been married 45 years. At about 40 years, Kathy, I think, we always go to the movie. We love going to movies, and we would always hold hands, and I thought that was kind of cool and romantic. And one day, Kathy goes, hey, you know what? You know, I would like you to put your arm around me at the movie theater. And I'm like, after all these years? I mean, she had just not told me. Men, women, I'm just speaking to you for a moment. Men, are we're pretty simple. We, we want to please you. We just sometimes don't know how to do it because hinting is not a form of communication, right? So finally, um, Kathy says, put your arm around. So the next time we go to the movies, I put my arm around her, and she like kind of smiles at me like, hey, you remembered. Good job. Well, 30 minutes later, I don't know if you women understand this, but 30 minutes is about as long as any of us can go with that, okay? Because your arm starts to die right here, okay? So... I do what any red-blooded male would do. I move my arm. People behind me always thought I was crazy because I kind of went like this. And then I just grabbed her hand, and she just took the hand and kind of moved it right back. <laughs> so what she wants is that kind of affection. So now she gets it. I've learned how to kind of rest my arm and do all these other kind of you know, little <laughs> arm things. But sometimes you have to tell them what you want or what you need. And it's not just about kissing. It's not just about affection. It's, 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 it's affection in terms of touch, but it's also sometimes, um, you know, expressions of love. If your spouse likes a certain kind of, you know, flower, get them that flower. If it's candy, you know, candy, whatever it is. If it's a back rub, it's a back rub. Ex find what matters to them when it comes to mm -hmm. affection and express it, even if you came from a family where there wasn't much express, expression of affection. So affection's a big deal. So the question we would ask, remember we're asking lots of questions, is how's the affection level in your relationship? Not sex, sexual intimacy, intimacy. That's tonight we're going to talk about romance. But how's the affection level in your relationship? And you can tell a lot about a couple with the affection that they offer each other, okay? So there's affection. Okay. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about warmth, and I wanted to start with a um, scripture that I actually, 
I'm studying Ephesians right now in a Bible study, and I just read this this morning, and I thought, oh, this goes so well, so I wanted to just share it, so I'm sorry it won't be up there, but um, it's Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, and I think this is out of uh, the New Living Testament. It says, lead a life worthy of your calling. Um, oh, wait, I'm going to stop here for a minute. I might skip a couple words if, in case any of you get really bugged by that, <laughs> but um, I'm just kind of like wrote the words that I thought really applied here. Lead a life worthy of your calling. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love and because of his love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together in the spirit. And I just thought um, kind of over this whole thing of talking about communication and connection and conflict, that is so important. Um, and most of all, that he's the one that can help us, just always to remember that. So warmth is about the tone and atmosphere in our relationship. And so to remember this, that words are only 30% of communication or what we say, 70% is our tone, how we communicate. To think about this, think about like what's your body language when you're communicating. Are you um, having eye contact? That's so important. Are you just talking like walking as you're walking out the door, saying whatever it is? You know, eye contact is really key. What about things like just your body movements, your posture? Do you sigh a lot when the, you know, instead of, you might not say anything, but you just go, you know, that whole thing. Um, anyway, all of that is nonverbal. And then sarcasm. Some people are really good at sarcasm, and I won't say who it is in our relationship, but anyway. I go, you're killing me here, okay? <laughs> no, but sarcasm, oh, to watch sarcasm, um, if it's creeping into your voice and into the things you say, that really affects the tone, because sometimes the words can be okay, but it's how we say them. And then um, negative. Like if you're always coming across negative or you see what's wrong, you know, you have that more critical, like the detailed person that sees the things and um, that can also can just pull from that relationship and take away the warmth. So this is a heart issue, right? Um, kind of like what I just said with that, those verses from Ephesians. So examine your heart. If you feel like... You're going, what is wrong here? What's going on in our relationship? Why are we having such a hard time to look at your own heart and then to do what you need to do? And you know, there's that song, and I cannot think of all the words, but it's like, yes, I will. And I always think of that song like it's, it's a choice what we do. It's surrender. And you know, because not just because we have a choice, we don't always want to do that choice, but then it goes that next step is surrender. And um, then to um, kind of thinking along all about this is to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. And most of you have probably heard that before. And that's where you help to set the tone in your home with the thermostat, right? Where the thermometer just shows you what it is. So instead of um, being just a reactor, to be proactive. So be proactive setting that tone instead of just reacting. Like if he wakes up in a bad mood, which is hardly ever, but once in a while, and if I just then go off negative because of how he is, then I'm just being a thermometer. Instead, be a thermostat. 
And so think about what are some of the steps that you can take to build a tone of warmth in your home. Um, and so I just wrote some ideas here, some of the things I've already said, but I think kindness, and I think we'll talk about that more tomorrow, but being kind, you know, we're kind to people at work, well, most of the time, or outside of our home or whatever. What about in our home? Just really focusing on that. Listening with your entire self, and that's what I was saying when I said the eye contact and our body language and everything, listening with our entire self. Helping, that's a biggie. Like, you know, when you see your partner just going through a really hard time, sometimes it's just because they're so overworked and to find ways to help. And then having a good filter. So think before you respond or react. You know, take a breath. You don't have to say everything you think either. You know, have a filter before you say things. And then finally, with all of that, is making our home a refuge. And, um, you know, that's how it should be, that our home should be a safe place, right? A refuge. And um, last year, I went through this really hard time. Um, we were um, already, our kids, which will, you know, we referred to a couple things, but our oldest daughter and grandkids, only grandkids, moved to Texas for an entire year. But we didn't know how long it was going to be. It could have been forever. So, you know, you're just, we're dealing with that. The other two daughters moved to New York. So it was like, wow, it's like, you know, everybody's left. So we had that. But then right at that time, I, um, I had worked before, and I had been not working for a couple years because I was helping take care of my grandson. And they, and, um, they reached out to me because I would sub for them sometimes, and they said, is there any chance you could come back to work? And it was only, I think it was four days a week, and, you know, there were all these things, and I thought, well, gosh, this seems like God just put this in my life right at the right time. I said, let me pray about it. I came home. We talked about it, decided, yeah, I'm going to go for this. So um, it, was, it seemed like it would be a really good thing, but what I didn't account for and all of this was the culture had really changed at my work because there were new people that were in administration and everything. And without going into all the details, um, I think I worked for about seven months. And then there was an incident that came up and it just made working horrific. And like I would leave work and I'd sit in my car for about 20 minutes where I'd just have to like decompress and like, you know, just it was really hard. And so finally, um, they really wanted me to stay, but I said, I, I think I need to leave, and I, you know, I handled it right. But it really, I didn't realize just how devastating it was to my spirit. But I came home, and I just remember this one day in the midst of all this, that he just, he was my refuge. And he, he was more mad at them than I was, you know? It was like he was really my, um, you came to my defense, and you were just there for me. So anyway, just saying that story to say that's what we want to be for each other. And then another thing, just more practical, is that um, I remember this other time, which is kind of all the time at our house now, but life was crazy with our grandkids, and I had too much to do, and the crazy schedule, and and he also had a crazy schedule, but he came home in the middle of the day with lunch from The Habit and just kind of changed the whole atmosphere with the kids, played with them for a while, and it, it was like it just changed everything. So it turned the atmosphere around. 
Um, okay. it your turn? You know, <laughs> affection, warmth, they're not things we talk enough about probably in a marriage relationship, but especially when we get into communication, because if your affection level is good and if your warmth level is good, then you're probably doing okay when it comes to some of the other communication skills. And so we started more positive, but the other one is, is encouragement. So awe mm -hmm. is encouragement. I love what Jesus did. Jesus looked at a man named Simon, and he said, you're no longer named Simon. Your name is what? Peter, Petros in Greek, Cephas in Aramaic, which means the rock or, or rocky or the stone. I call him rocky. Uh, no one was named Peter 2,000 years ago, you know. And so Jesus nicknamed him, and even probably with his tongue in his cheek, there is humor. In, as you look at the life of Jesus, he'll do these little puns. And he said, and upon this rock, I'll build my church, Okay. And, uh, you know, you go to Rome and you see a church called, you know, St. Peter's and it's upon that rock. And they use that a lot within Catholicism in a beautiful way because he was the rock. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so what Jesus did is Jesus believed in him and Jesus affirmed him and he became what Jesus believed him to be. He was a mumbly, bumbly fisherman who actually denied him in the scriptures. And then he becomes this amazing leader. Perfect, no, but Jesus believed in him. And what I want to say to you is that, do you believe in your spouse? Now, see, the hard part is, you know, sinner marries another sinner. You have sinnerlings. And so you see the worst in each other. But yet, if you believe in your spouse and you encourage your spouse and you're the greatest cheerleader, that's going to go a long ways. When people go into affairs, and I've tried to study this a little bit in terms of, you know, what causes people to go this way? You know what one of the reasons that they'll say? It's not about sex and about the sparks and the fire, fireworks. Somebody else was cheering them on. Hmm. Kathy talked about negativity. So if you're, and we'll get into this tomorrow too, but if you're negative Nancy or you're negative Ned and you're always being negative, I mean, you could be right. Your criticism could be right. It could be just, but if it's constant, so much so, and there's no affirmation, they're going to run to encouragement someplace. And if they run to the arms of someone else who's giving them that encouragement, they will then move into sometimes a deeper intimacy because they're getting encouraged, see? So the question I have for every one of you in here is, are you the greatest cheerleader for your spouse? Because if you're not, I think you should be. And I realize it's hard when you have to respect them and you see them at their worst, or like she said, you know, in the morning if somebody was, you know, a, uh, you know grumpy or whatever it might be, see? And so, yet, it's the, the world of, of encouragement. I mean, as Mark Twain said, I can live two months on one good compliment. Are we complimenting our spouse enough? Uh, I, I challenged a woman to this once, her... Uh, her husband, she said, you know, he's a good guy and he works too many hours and all this, but, you know, he's a good provider and he's great with the kids and I guess I'm kind of lucky, but, you know, we don't have the spark. And I, I said, wow, have you ever told him that he's a good provider and that he works hard and you appreciate that and you appreciate that he's good with the kids? And she goes, no, I don't really say that to him very much. I said, well, then you need to do that. And I wasn't trying to fake some kind of a thing like, you know, meet him at the door without any clothes on and say that, that may not be bad, but, <laughs> but <laughs> what I was trying to say was, no, he's... He's out there working hard, so give him some praise for that. He's trying to be a good dad. Is he perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. But be the cheerleader, okay? That got a lot of response on the naked thing. Tonight, <laughs> this is going to be a weird crowd, okay? I'm just telling you as we talk about that tonight, it's going to be weird. And remember this, and, and I'm not big on you know, saying every male is, uh, goes one way and every female goes another way or whatever, but you know, we do communicate on different levels, 
okay, in different ways. So I'm going to show you a video. This video has been seen by about 35 million people. I would say many of you have seen it, but it'll be a good reminder for where we're going to go, okay? So let's show, let's show uh, the video about the nail. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like that. We have. And actually, I think the greatest line in there is that all of her sweaters are snagged. Well, you have a nail on your head. Of course your sweaters are going to be snagged. Give me a break. But, you know, there's a lot of levels to that, you know, silliness in that. One of the reasons why it's so popular in every language. Um, but one of the reasons why is because we tend to, to do that. We tend to, you know, not connect on levels. You know, she, she was wanting something that he wasn't able to give, and he wanted to try to fix her and... Even we take sides, you know, we all took sides right there. Like maybe she just needed to be held and not told to get the nail out. And other times people are going, just take the nail out, <laughs> you know, take it out, okay? But uh, we want to talk about connection and the proactivity of connection. So I'll let Kathy, you start, and then okay. I'll come uh, back when you're done. Okay, so this kind of goes back to last night when we talked about being intentional, and that's kind of the key thing about uh, connection is being intentional, being proactive. Often we lose the in love feeling, you know, you think about you know, people that have been married many years and people go, oh, well, they're so boring or whatever. And maybe it's because from the outside they look that way because they've lost that in love feeling and it's often because they've neglected the relationship. That's kind of the number one thing. So think about, are you making time for each other, and is your relationship a priority? And I, um, this one day, I was driving to, um, I think I was driving to the airport, actually, and I heard, I, I was listening to some radio program, talk radio, and this counselor was on, and I think she happened to be a marriage counselor, and she said this quote, and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. It just, it really hit me. I even pulled over to the side of the, I think I was on the freeway, so I probably didn't pull over on the freeway, but I got off, pulled over, and I wrote this down, and I just wanted to share what she said. She said, most marriages that die do so in small increments, 
It's not always the big things like adultery. We kill the relationship by our decisions to pay attention to the phone, biggie, to the TV, to the computer, instead of our spouse. You know, and how often, I mean, I'm just going to interject here, because I think this is for all of us, especially with the phone, it is so easy to be tempted by that thing, you know, and just, and the other person's talking to you while you're scrolling through, whatever, or you get a ding and you go, oh, I got to look at that. Is that really more important than that person that's right next to you or across the table? You know, just kind of a side note here, but I think our phones have really hurt our relationships. Um, we kill our relationship by our decisions to pay attention to the phone, to the TV, to the computer instead of our spouse. We kill our relationship by not considering our spouse when we spend do dollars on big ticket items. So, you know, you go and buy something big and don't even consider asking them what they think. We kill our relationships by never having a date night because it's too much trouble. Sorry, I lost my... And if our marriage is important to us, we have to pay attention to it, and we have to take time to nurture it. And I just thought it really, what hit me about that was when she said, we kill our marriages in small increments. They die in small increments. So it's not just this big one day, I don't want to be married anymore, I don't love you anymore, or whatever. It's just that daily, minute by minute, what are we doing here? Are we paying attention? Are we taking the time to, you know, have date nights, to get away, you know, like you guys are doing. It's so important. I know I talked to this young couple over here with their, I think it's the first time you guys are away from your one-and-a-half-year-old, is that right? And it's, it's just so good. I know it's hard. I know you miss those, those sweet little people um, or your work. <laughs> I don't know if they're sweet, but whatever it is that you you are taking a break from to focus on each other, but it's so important. And it doesn't even have to be just so important that, I, it doesn't have to be like a, just a marriage retreat where you're really focused on marriage or whatever. It could be just, we're going to take a couple days, we, in the middle of this craziness, we have a few days, let's drive up the coast and just, just relax together. It's so good for a relationship. So anyway, I just, I thought that was really a good point about the small increments. And, um, so we need to have practical ways to connect with each other. Am I jumping the gun? Sure. No, no, go. Okay. Go with that. That sounds great. Um, so to every day, have a set time to touch base. And for some of you, that could be coffee in the morning or tea or whatever you like to drink. But um, some people, that's not going to work because you have different schedules and it's crazy at your house with getting kids off to school or whatever. But that would be one option. Or maybe, if you could, even meet midday for a coffee break or something. Um, after work, maybe having a snack or appetizers or, um, you know, some people like to drink a glass of wine. I mean, whatever it is, that you take that time to just look each other in the eye and see how was your day, you know, what's up with you, what were the good points, what were the bad points. We had our kitchen table with our um, daughter and her husband and kids living with us. They are really good about really making a point of asking what was the best part of your day, you know, to our grandchildren. And, um, of course, it's playing and Henry on the playground and something he did, but it's always silly, but it just is such a good thing to focus on the positives. 
So um, to have that and... Um, and then, oh, for us, it's walking our dog. I was just going to say, very practical. I mean, you have to walk the dog, right? So try to walk the dog together if you can. Sometimes we can't do that with kids, but, you know, if you can put the baby in the stroller and have the preschooler on the bike riding along with you, there's ways to do it. You can make it happen. And, and then when you're older, there's just, you know, you're tired, whatever, but it really gives you a lot of energy to get out sometimes and just take that walk together, both energy for each other and just energy personally. Yeah, it's good. I, I was thinking about a couple who is pretty high profile. Many of you would know this couple. Mm. And um, in terms of ministry, and they're really struggling in their marriage, and, and I spent some time with them, and I suggested they go to what we call an intensive. And an intensive is where, th- this one happened to be in Branson, Missouri. These people lived uh, here on the West Coast, and uh, they flew to Branson. It cost about 5,000 bucks to go through this, and there's four couples who go through this intensive, and there's, you know, it's a neat, neat experience. And when they came back, they wanted to meet with me, and they wanted to show me what they had learned and some of this. And so I said, what was the, present- what was the best thing you learned about this? And uh, they said, well, actually, we both walk our dog, but we don't walk it together. And so we decided to walk our dog together. And it's been great. We connect every day. And I'm like, you spent $5,000 on that? (laughs) For a dinner at the Habit, I would have told you that. And that's a great (laughs) idea. You know, Fadi and and Kim, uh, our friends, they have coffee in the morning. It's chaos. And then at night, they have a glass of wine. But they connect. And they do it. All, and it could be chaos. They have four kids, and you know life's crazy and busy. But are they? Are you proactively making sure that you're connecting? And a lot of you are. One of the things that we prayed about was we're kind of going simple on this. I mean, remember we said, you know. Uh, when you've strayed away from the basics. And so what we're trying to do is really focus on some basics. One of the reasons we want is because some of you are doing this really well. So when you walk out of here, and even when you walk out of here you know, on Sunday, you go, we're kind of doing what these people told us to do. We've already done that. So that's one of the reasons why your marriage is in a better place than you know, some others who, who aren't you know, working the marriage muscle, if you would. Now, we've talked about busyness, and we've talked about connection, but we're actually going to give you three suggestions if it's not working for you. If it's working for you, do keep doing whatever you're doing. Okay, don't try to tweak it. Mm-hmm. But if it's working, um, keep it. If it's not, we want to give you three suggestions. And actually, this means that we're going to give you, we're going to say, we're, we're already too busy, and now we're going to add some potential time to you, so you're going to have to take something off on this. Okay. And the first one is what we call the business meeting or the summit. Okay. And the business meeting <clears throat> goes like this. For Kathy and I, we find that we don't do well after 10.30 at night. You know, the bed is not for talking about schedule and calendar and all that kind of stuff. It just simply does not work. Or about taxes or about kids and money and, you know, all those kinds of things. It doesn't work. The bed is for sleep. Obviously, it's not for praying since she said I fell asleep in the middle of prayer there. Uh, But, you know, it's for sleeping and it's for making love and for you know, make the bed beautiful, not, you know, the place where you're going to have arguments. And we've had that where we've, you know, we, I've gone, oh my gosh, I remember one time, you know, she was at me for something and I was at her and I went, wow, if I really go at her back and I kind of work through some of the defensiveness that I already have, we're going to be up for like an hour and I'm exhausted. So I just rolled over and played dead and went, you're right. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so we went to bed and that was fine. The next morning I woke up realizing that I had lied to my wife. And so I said, you know, Kathy, I was really tired, and so what I did was I said I 
kind of agreed with you, and I really don't. What I'd like to do is set up at some time, um, you know, today, whatever that was, um, <laughs> set up, and music played right then. Um, but set up some time for us to have this conversation, and we did, and actually, it was a good conversation, it was a hard conversation, I had to, but I had to humble myself and say, okay, I just didn't want to do it at night. We even have kind of a 10.30 rule. So what we found was that if couples will meet once a week, and again, you're going to have to communicate on other things, but the business side of your life, which is raising kids, looking at money, do, uh, schedule for us like crazy, all these different things. So, you know, we know folks who go to Starbucks at 7 o'clock in the morning on Friday because it worked for them. It may not work for many of you. But they figure out a time when they have the summit, and then they get most of that stuff done. There's times when Kathy and I can say, you know what, do we need to talk about this right now, or can we talk about this at the summit? See? And so some people can do that, and it really will help, because some of you, like, I love the summit meeting. She hates the summit meeting. But I'm like, yes, you know, this is better than making out. You know, we're getting this stuff done. And she's like, you know, we have to, we're talking about money, and we're talking about finances, and schedule, and calendar, and all that kind of stuff. But it's a good thing. If it's not working for you, maybe you want to try the summit. The second one we talked about last night is the date night. So what did I do? I want to give you the 100-minute challenge. What, what's the percent of time in a week? 100 minutes is 1%. So are you willing to give your spouse 1%? Some of you do this and be really affirmed by this. But we made a decision early on in our marriage to do a date night. And, uh, and I'm telling you, some of the date nights have been amazing, and some of the date nights just happened. But I don't remember what I ate you know, last Monday for dinner, but it nurses me for the day. So are you willing to do a date night? I talked to a couple last night who said, we haven't really done the date night thing very well. And I really wanted to affirm the husband because what the, what we, and he said, I can do this. Because I said, you know, I found with dates that, that what blocked dates with Kathy when our kids were young, and I realize all of, the, all of us in here don't have young kids, but when our kids were young, was, it was babysitting and it was, was it money. And so we've taken care of the money and um, I've got us babysitting. Okay, And by making even that decision right there, the date night all of a sudden is, you know, if these guys didn't have their one-and-a-half-year-old taken care of, they wouldn't be here right now, see? And so they figured it out. They got it. They made it happen, and congrats for that, because the one-and-a-half-year-old can be having a great time, and they have a need, because all of us have a need to, you know, to reconnect at times. So the date night. The third one is one that I want to challenge some of you to be. I think the least developed area of intimacy, remember we've been talking about intimacy, is actually spiritual intimacy. And although we, Kathy and I actually chose to pull some of the spiritual intimacy material that we have, um, it's in the book called Creating an Intimate Marriage, much more to it. But I believe it's about the least developed area of, of intimacy. And I know it is, has been for us. So we both become Christians, we both go into ministry, um, we both are married in ministry and have a great heart and passion for ministry, but with each other. She's great with, uh, back when we were in youth ministry, she was great with the girls, I you know, was discipling guys and all that, and I'd kind of come home and the last thing I wanted to do was like, you know, be more spiritually intimate, because I was kind of spiritually intimated out, if that is a word. And uh, we had an experience, we had actually had an experience with a man who's very big in Christian camping. You remember Jim Slevko? He just passed away. We're going to his service on March 8th. And Jim and Manya kind of mentored us in many ways. And uh, they're amazing people and amazing leaders. They live in Southern California. He was on the board for years at Westmont. And we would go to their house sometimes or we would go to dinner with them and we would just have questions, mainly about kids. They have three kids who have done great and you know, we had three kids and so we would, we would ask them. We didn't have our parents to kind of do that with in terms of our background. So one night, 
just out of the, it wasn't on our list, but I said to them, I said, hey, so what do you guys do for like spiritual compatibility, spiritual connection? Because they're so spiritual, I assumed that they were going to say, we have knots on our knees and we pray every day for an hour. And Jim said, we spend 20 minutes a week. And I went, oh. And now in my mind, I didn't say this because Kathy has taught me to have a filter, but <laughs> sometimes, but I went, how wimpy is that? And then I realized, for us, I mean, it wasn't like we were anti each other praying and we weren't anti what, you know, spiritual you know, growth, if you would, but I don't think we were doing that. And so I said, well, what do you guys do? And then it sounded even more unsexy because they said, well, we, we read scripture and then we read a little story, sometimes a devotional, and then we pray for our family and kids and missionaries and our work and life. And I was like, that doesn't sound all that exciting. And I looked at Manya, and Manya was like, yeah, that's a great thing we do. So we went on to, and then what about the kids? And we moved on to our agenda, I guess. As we're pulling out of the driveway, Kathy looks at me and she goes, I really want to do that 20-minute thing. So how am I going to be, and at that point, I wasn't a pastor in a church, but I have a pastoral background. Um, at, at that point, you know, what am I going to say? No. So <laughs> I did what any loving husband did who's passive-aggressive. I said, great, let's do it. Why don't you be in charge? And I don't want to do another Bible study. <laughs> okay. Uh, so she said, okay, as a matter of fact, I will. So we pulled out of the driveway. I forget about it. We, we decided it was going to be Sunday night at 9 o'clock or whatever. So, you know, I'm watching a Laker game or something at 9 o'clock on Sunday. And, you know, she comes and cuddles up next to me, takes the remote control and puts it on pause. And it's like, she said, okay, let's do this. And so she, she had done it. She brought a devotional. And I'll admit, the first time she did it, I didn't go, oh, this is the greatest devotional the world has ever known, or is it any better than any other devotional I'd read on my own? And uh, we called it Closer Time as time went on. And, and Kathy and I do a lot of things with Homeward. The organization I work with has four values, strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. So we spend a lot of time talking with leaders, pastors, things like that. And we started challenging pastors to have Closer Time. And then somebody came up to us once and, um, and said, you guys should write a book on it. You too. Well, we've never written a book together, and that became the first book we wrote together. It's called Closer. And what's fascinating is, is the book took off, and it's one of the best-selling marriage devotionals ever, from what I'm told, and it just cracks me up because you really don't need to buy the book. You just spend 20 minutes with your spouse spiritually, okay? And we don't really get notes saying... On page 27, you changed our life. What they say is the 20 minutes changed our life. And so we challenge people to connect spiritually for 20 minutes a week. Now, again, for some of you, you're way past that. Keep going. That's awesome. But for some of the rest of us, are we connected spiritually? What's fascinating is I learned more about Kathy going, I want that, is in one of our, our little sessions, because we don't call them chapters, there's 52 of them, but in one of them, it is a, a session on sexual intimacy. And our friends, Gary and Barb Rosberg, Gary Rosberg was the speaker who did marriage before I did when on, in Promise Keepers, before I'd come on and speak on family. And, uh, and Gary wrote, and Barb wrote a book called The Five Sex Needs of Men and Women, a lot sexier book than any title that we've got. And um, in that book, the fourth sex need of a woman was spiritual intimacy. That shocked me. It was nowhere to be seen with men, see. And so it doesn't come as natural for us. Now, if Kathy was taking this section, which she doesn't have the section today, but if she was taking this section, when we've talked with, with uh, ministry and marriage, she'll oftentimes say, no, that's really sexy to pray together with, with Jim. 
Okay? And I'm not saying, and now there's men going, I'm going to go get that book if that'll help with the sex life. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that that's such a need. A woman has that need more than a man. Does a, I now see that as a need that I have too. I yearn for closeness with her spiritually. But again, it's a learned trait, and it's something we have to do. And so I would challenge you. If it's not working on the business side, then have a summit. Try it. If it doesn't work, dump it. Okay? If you're not having regular dates, and again, some of you who have younger kids, it might be you put the one-and-a-half-year-old to bed, and you, you, know, you light a fire if there's a fireplace, and you have Chinese food, and you, you, know, you sit at the, on the couch. I mean, it doesn't have to be something fancy. In fact, some of our best dates are not the fancy dates. But are, are we doing that? And then also the spiritual intimacy part, okay? And, and, and uh, even in the Q&A, if you want to talk more about that, you know, we can kind of go after that. That's been an important thing. The other thing I would add to that is we have a friend named Dr. David Stoop, and uh, he's been a real mentor in our life, David and Jan. And um, he was speaking at a Homeward event where we were talking with some of our donor base, and Dave was running it with Jan. And they made a challenge, and I thought this was very insightful that some of you want to hear. They made a challenge for these people to, when we're sitting, and Kathy and I were sitting in there, is to pray every day. And, it, they, and they quoted a study out of Columbia University, which I thought was quite interesting. The divorce rate is somewhere around 50%. It's not totally 50, and I mean, even my friend Shanti Felton says that if you go to church you know, twice a, a month and worship together, it breaks it down to 35. 35% is still not good in divorce, but where they get the 50% is last year there was 2.1 million marriages and there was over 900,000 divorces, so that's where they get that, and you know, there's a lot of complications with it, but let's just say 50% for the, what Dave said, 50%. However, if you pray together daily, this study out of Columbia University, not a Christian university, but out of Columbia University said that the divorce rate changes to one out of 1,100. Mind-blowing. He's a, a, a counselor, and he goes, you know, I could be out of business. All you got to do is start praying together, you know. <laughs> Fortunately for his business, he'll always be busy because we don't do that. But the spiritual intimacy part is a pretty incredible part, and we might pray for 30 seconds. I'm not saying this has to be deep stuff. I'm saying it's great when you can and when you do, but start simple, start small, baby, back to, to baby steps, okay? And uh, anyway, that's you know, the kind of our challenge to you. So I want to teach us just for a moment how to dance, okay? I want to look at, a, at conflict, now, one of the things, you know, I loved actually that we, and, and it's not the same connotation. By the way, I love that song. What, what's that, is the song called oh. Run to the Battle? Is that the, yeah, I love that. Absolutely. When you battle, that's not bad. Conflict is not bad. And those of us, like myself, who run from conflict. Kathy grew up in a home where there was conflict, and it was more natural for her to have, to just lay it on the table. And for me, we, I didn't see my parents argue. And, you know, they didn't have a healthy marriage, but they were married for 53 years, and, you know, they just ran from it. And so I run from conflict. I don't like conflict. But I find that when we work through conflict, we, we develop a deeper intimacy. So there's a negative conflict dance and a positive conflict dance. And I want to teach you first the, neg the negative conflict dance. See if you can identify with this. It starts with tension. So if you don't have tension in your relationship at times, I'm worried for, for you. So if you never have tension, and it could be little bits of tension or you could have deep tension, but tension happens when you live with someone. That's just the way it is. 
And that's when there's friction, problems, pain, and misunderstanding. Typically, we move around this dance and we go to defensiveness. And I'm good at all of these, so I can speak from authority because it's where I've gone for years and had to learn to do something a little different. But that's where we start blaming, we have anger, control, attack I language, and you language appears. And so now I'm getting defensive. Now I'm not really dealing with the issue, I'm being defensive. And the question you have to ask, which I'm gonna ask again tomorrow, is do I wanna be right or do I wanna improve the relationship? If I wanna be right, I'll be defensive. If I wanna improve the relationship, sometimes I have to look at it in a different way, which we'll get to in a minute. Then we move to disconnect. If you are defensive in your conflict and you tend to go defensive, it could be because of low self-image, it could be because of a bazillion things, but if you go that way, you're gonna eventually disconnect. And notice that it first says you disconnect by emotional withdrawal. So emotional intimacy precedes really spiritually intimacy or sexual intimacy. And so if you're not in a connection emotionally, so what do we do when we withdraw emotionally? And a lot of us do that. And when we do that, we typically avoid, we pout, or sometimes we act and feel superior. Again, I can do all of that stuff. So now you are in a relationship where you love each other, but you're, you're a bit disconnected. You go from disconnect to detached. So too many marriages are at that stage where they're detached, and now there's bitterness and resentment and contempt and loneliness, unresolved issues, fighting, and even becomes deadness. So what happens is there's some bitterness and resentment, and it bubbles up into contempt. And now you're lonely because you're detached from each other because you just don't have the energy to, to deal with the conflict, and you've already kind of been in this negative conflict dance. Well, the result is deeper tension and regret. So I don't know about you, but most people I talk to can identify with that dance. And I put that dance, and you have it in front of you, but I put that dance in front of people and said, that's, that's us. How do, we, how do we break this? Let me show you a, another video, and then we're gonna come to the positive conflict dance because you still want conflict. So I wrote the same but different words. So you can have conflict, but is there a better way to go about it? And I think there is. But look at where it starts in the positive conflict. It starts at tension. So it doesn't mean that you're gonna remove tension from your relationship. And a lot of us think that the grass is greener because we're, you know, we're still dealing with tension, so we should never have tension in a relationship. No, you want tension in your relationship because tension can have you draw closer or have you draw farther apart, you wanna draw closer. So that moves to we, we're going the opposite way. So instead of now in your marriage, instead of saying she's wrong or me pointing the finger at her or make Kathy the enemy or Kathy make me the enemy, and we're good at this, what we wanna do is do we. And in we, it means we assume responsibility. So I need to assume responsibility for my own stuff. You know, what's, what, she's mad at me for something. What, what did I do? What is my story in this? What's her story in this, see? And then we work together to resolve the issue. I had a couple in my office, I don't do counseling, but I had a couple, it's our board, somebody from our board, and we were actually talking about their 17-year-old daughter, and uh, they started arguing about their, their, their way they did stuff, and finally I just took a water bottle and I put it on this little coffee table, and I said, okay, let's focus for a minute on your daughter, and let's try to problem solve how we can help your daughter, who was caught in the act of, uh, a relationship, physical relationship, and smokes a lot of pot, and they're kind of active in the church, like way active. So I said, let's focus on your daughter, and it was amazing because this was almost like miraculous. They quit blaming each other, they moved to we, 
they walked out holding hands, and I didn't, we weren't doing marriage counseling, but because they had worked together to develop a plan for their daughter, it went better, see? So the question becomes, are we, when we're in conflict, can we assume our own responsibility and not be defensive, but go to we? And, and I have to think sometimes with Kathy and I, we, what can we do for we, okay? And then I go to the bathroom and I come back and it's fine. I'm just kidding. That's just a really dumb pun. But I'd never thought of it and it's not in my notes, but I thought that was funny. Okay. And I apparently am the only one who thought that was funny, but there we go. So then we go to connected. And this is where you have, where you resolve things without win or lose. See, if I win the argument, I, and you know, I can win the argument with Kathy a lot of times because I can out-argue her or I'm sarcastic or all the stuff, you know. But if I do that, I lose. So in a we situation, it's not win or lose. And you can actually agree to disagree. We disagree on a lot of things, but we just have to agree to disagree. And it's funny, we, like in education, Kathy has a background in education. I have a background in education. Our kids have master's degrees. Um, Kathy works with kids, has worked with kids who are on the spectrum in terms of the autism world. And so she's good at it. And when we were raising our kids, I didn't agree necessarily with everything she did on the education side with our kids. But I realized she's doing a really good job. Why would I jump in there? So I had to agree to disagree with her. Same with money. She handles money differently than I do. She does a great job. I back off, see? And, and same with her on other things. So the connected part says that you can have a sense of well-being and you can learn new things about each other and you can actually have peace in a relationship because now you're going, you know what? This is not personal. This is hard to do, by the way. This is not easy. But I find that people who work through this do a lot better. I would say our marriage is a lot better off when we're doing the positive conflict dance. See, and I think yours too can be. What you may want to do uh, sometime is is actually take an issue and then kind of you know kind of play with this, and, and you might be surprised at how much better you can do. That result is authentic oneness. The Bible says that the two will become one. We'll talk about that tonight. The two will become one, but authentic oneness and feeling loved. And one of the things that happens in conflict is we walk out of the conflict saying I don't even feel loved. So the most important thing to Kathy when we're in conflict, is do you love me? And if I'm just going at her with all this conflict, a lot, a lot of that is me. A lot of that is my own defensiveness, my own stuff that I've got to work through. Same with her, see. So anyway, that's some food for thought when it comes to communication. What I say, 86% of marriages that derail, don't derail. The good news is, it's a learned trait. It's not something that you just inherited, mm -hmm. see. Now, You'll, we'll talk tomorrow about me being an extrovert and her being an introvert. That's inherited. We can't change that. But we can change the way we communicate in a, in a more effective way. Okay? Right before I pray, let me say a couple of things about Homeward, the ministry that I work with. And Kathy and I are the founders of Homeward. We've been around for 35 years with this. Homeward is the largest provider of parenting seminars and marriage seminars. I mean, not the largest with marriage, but parenting seminars, a lot of marriage stuff um, in the United States. And, um, and anyway, if you ever hear about us coming up, if most of you are from the Bay Area. If you do, we're, I, I was at Menlo, Menlo Church this month. I was at Venture Church right before that. So Sacramento, we get up here, not Sacramento. just me. Though. Huh? You've been in Sacramento. Uh, yeah, Sacramento's coming up. And, yeah. you know, so we do get there. And Homeward has 27 speakers who do this. So we would love to um, have you hear more about that. The thing I'm most excited about Homeward is that we have an incredible website. We send out over 7 million um, helpful things. For example, we send out something every Friday called the Culture Brief. 
And what it does is it helps you identify with what's going on in the culture. This last Friday's culture brief was amazing. It was on vaping and on kids and sleep and all these different things. And it was really, really helpful. It takes about seven minutes to read. If you don't like it, dump it. But you might want to go to homeward.com and hear more about that aspect of our ministry. I already told you the values. The other thing we do have is at Homeward, we have a lot of books and resources. They're, typically, the books also have small group um, materials with them if, if people want that. And I tell people all the time, read one marriage book a year, read one parenting book a year. And uh, again, a lot of people today don't take the time to read books. They'll read blogs. We have a blog, 63,000 people subscribe to it, um, and it's great. It doesn't have the depth that sometimes a book has. And some of you are readers, some of you are not, but I always suggest to people, and it surely does not have to be mine. What I love, I love that Mount Hermon has a great bookstore. So go in there. I'm, I will go in there today, and honestly, I will, I will read every you know, every little book, I mean, not, I won't read the books, but I'll read the, you know, the titles and I'll learn a lot by being in a, in a good Christian bookstore because we just don't have that anymore. You know, we all do Amazon. I'm grateful as a writer for Amazon. And, um, and Mount Hermon has four of our books there. They have Closer, which is a devotional that Kathy and I wrote. They have Creating an Intimate Marriage, which is taking what you're kind of going through and taking it deeper. Um, although some of the material we're talking isn't in Closer, like, I mean, in Creating an Intimate Marriage. Some of the stuff today was, is not in there, it's happened after that was written. And then we also have the first few years of marriage. Doug Fields and I wrote a book that has really taken off called The First Few Years of Marriage, Building the Foundation, we wish we had this, the first, you know, building a foundation in the first few years of marriage. And that's good uh, for people, again, who are either somewhat young in their marriage or people who, have, who are from a blending situation where it talks about. And then I think there's one other book Is we have. Is that the adult child book? Oh, yeah. We also have um, the new book that's come out. It came out number one on May 26th on Amazon. We were shocked. But it's a book for doing life with your adult children. Number one in that division. Yeah, right. In that. And, um, and it's still... Yeah. In the Christian world, it's, it's yeah. like number 25. It still is. And we just we don't have books that do that. So it's, it's hit a nerve. We have a television special coming out that's going to be on the Family Channel uh, soon. Um, it's just a, a half-hour television special that goes. I mean, a lot of neat stuff with it. So you, you might want to look at some of those books. Those books will be there until after the... Um, there's some books over there, and then they have them in the bookstore. None of the money goes to us. It goes here, and, and we would we'd like doing that with, with Mount Hermon. So if, you, if you, they run out of books or whatever, go on Homeward's website, go on Amazon, and you, know, you can find that kind of stuff. The other thing I was going to say is we actually have a, a, a guest here who has written a great book. I read this book even before it came out. Um, Laura Taggart is somewhere. There she is right there. And she d did not ask me to do this. I actually asked if I could, <laughs> if I could make a plug for her book. I love this book, um, Making Love Last. Uh, it says, then, divorce-proofing your young marriage. Actually, I, I remember as I was reading through this going, this works for anybody. I mean, it's just great marriage content. Unfortunately, they don't have any more books at Mount Hermon, but, uh, and she's going to pass this book on to somebody else, okay? Uh -huh. But I'm going to put it over by the... Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll ask... Dave, would you mind putting it over by that deal, and then Laura can pick it up after the, the Q&A. She'll pick it back up. But you may want to look at that book, and you can order it on Amazon or other ways. Um, she's a marriage and family therapist uh, in the Danville area. But um, when, I, when I read her stuff, I just went, wow, it is, it is great. Remember, read one marriage book a year. Maybe that's the book that you want to do this year as well. Okay? We good? We're good.